If you'll turn with me now to the book of Ruth and the third chapter, and then we will look at the uh, uh, closing verses of this chapter beginning in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 8. As you're able, please stand with me for the reading and the hearing of the word of God. Ruth chapter 3, verses 8 through 18, read. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou hast thou followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning." And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. May God bless again today the reading and the hearing of his word. And let's turn once again to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, help us as we come to this wonderful passage of Scripture. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us to illumine us, to help us see even the glory of Christ that's contained here. May the preaching be to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we left, last left off in this third act of Ruth, Ruth had just gone in the the late night, out to the threshing floor of Boaz by the instruction of her mother-in-law, Naomi, to make a proposal and an appeal to the kinsman redeemer and the customs that surround that, that Ruth would be redeemed by Boaz and thereby Naomi in the line of Elimelech. And so Ruth went out to the threshing floor that night. She put off the garments of mourning and the garments of a laborer and put on new raiment and went out and laid herself down at the feet of Boaz, waiting for him to awake. And it's in this 
moment that we now find ourselves today. As we work through our passage this afternoon, we'll divide it into three parts. The first being verses 8 through 13, where we see a proposal in darkness. Second, we see in verses 14 and 15, a glimmer of hope at first light. And then in the concluding chapters of, or concluding verses rather of this chapter, we see Ruth and Naomi waiting with words of assurance. So we turn now first to look at this proposal made in darkness. As we said, Ruth is there waiting at the feet of Boaz, not trying to provoke him, but she's just gently laid aside his garments at his feet. And so keep in mind, they're out in the threshing floor, which is not necessarily like a barn, but a flat spot usually out in the field. Those cool evening winds that brought in and and moved that shaft from the weed as they they threshed it uh, has, has now brought in a chill in the night. And so when it says here that the man was afraid, it's not to imply that Boaz was actually afraid of the events that were occurring, but it more likely means something to the effect of he shivered. He was cold in that night air. And so he was rolling over trying to settle himself back into sleep And then he discovers that there's someone there with him. And so he says, he looks, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, this language is intentionally ambiguous. If you were just to pick up the the, uh, story here, you would have no idea who this man and this woman are. But that's intentional by the author. There's an ambiguity here. There's this mystery of darkness, this shroud of darkness that, that surrounds this event. As we looked at the last time we were in this book, there was a a bit of a scandalous kind of language to how it's set up. Ruth was going out to the threshing floor to be alone with Boaz. And nothing that Naomi proposed for Ruth to go and do was immoral in any way. However, there's a chance that it could be misconstrued. Maybe somebody was just looking out their window and they happened to see Ruth going out to be with Boaz alone. And so... uh, 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 person with a a lesser imagination might assume that perhaps Ruth and Boaz were meeting to do something that was uh, not condoned, but that's not the case. Even still, the language and the wording that's used here in scripture is intentional to keep this level of suspense. And so we read on, and Boaz says to her, who art thou? It's dark. He doesn't really know what's happening. He's just been abruptly woken from sleep, first with a chill, and then finding somebody there with him. And so he asked a very simple question, who are you? To which Ruth responds, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. And it might not seem like this is very significant. She's simply identifying herself as Ruth, but there is a change here. She's no longer Ruth, the Moabitess. She's no longer that stranger in the land. No, she is Ruth, the handmaid of Boaz. She went out in the fields and worked with his laborers. She is Ruth, that that one that has come into Israel and has proselytized and put on all that is of Israel. In that last act of, of changing her garments to go out and meet Boaz, Ruth put off the last vestige of Moab that she had. It's at this point she's basically a new person. It's as if Ruth and Boaz are meeting for the first time all over again. And so she goes out to the threshing floor there, changed, changed in garment, 
changed in saying that I indeed am an Israelite. And so she identifies herself not as Ruth the Moabitess, not as Ruth the stranger, but once again Ruth the handmaid of Boaz. And she continues. She makes this proposal as Naomi has now suggested to her and says, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Perhaps if you have a new King James translation, you might read spread thy wings over thy handmaid. And that's intentional. The author is playing back on Ruth 2.12 where Boaz uh, makes the declaration that uh, Ruth should be blessed, that she has come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And indeed, Ruth had come under the wings of the God of Israel. She made that declaration as she ventured out of Moab. She says that I will be among your people. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. I will die where you die, Naomi. And so she has now put on all of Israel that she can. And she's come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah God. And now, in this proposal of marriage to Boaz, and this idea of leveret marriage, she's asking Boaz if she could come under his particular wings of protection. But not only that, Ruth continues and makes the point, for thou art a near kinsman. If you remember our two key Hebrew words, one is goel. And that's the word that's used here, meaning redeemer. Ruth is saying to him, literally, you are a redeemer. She's acknowledging the fact that Boaz has a particular relationship to her that not everyone has, that not just anyone can fulfill. And so so she's banking on this proposal of, of appealing to the customs and law of leveret marriage that Boaz, that godly man, that man of character, would heed her appeal and, and assent to it. She lays it all out there for him, anxious and afraid. Remember, she's going out at great personal risk, potential risk of harm to herself, but also risk of damaging the reputation of Boaz. At the end of the day, the people likely still think of her as Ruth the Moabitess, And so she goes out there and she makes this proposal and she appeals to to Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and asks, would you indeed take me under your wings? Would you spread your skirt over me? Would you bring me into your household and fulfill this custom that's laid out in the law of God? In one sense, this is the experience of every Christian. If you think about this, perhaps if you came to faith when you were older, you might remember a time when you came to the point of conversion and you cried out to God and you realized it's not because of anything in myself. It's not because I have anything to offer to to Christ, but it's simply on his promise. Come and I will give you rest that you indeed come to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps you may even have used those words of that old great hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. This is the experience of Ruth, anxious and afraid, full of shame, full of realizing her own, her own worthiness to come to Boaz with this proposal. And yet still she comes. She comes on the basis of the nature of Boaz as a near kinsman. She comes... Uh, to Boaz as a godly man, a man who's righteous and virtuous, and she makes this appeal. And so, Christian, when you came to Christ, if you can recall it, 
It was the same thing. You didn't come in pride and arrogance saying, God, I can offer you so much. No, you came lowly and said, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. It is a universal experience of Christians. Perhaps if you came to Christ at a young age, you didn't remember this particular time, but maybe, unfortunately, you walked away from the Lord for a while and were backslidden. And in that moment of repentance and turning, you too had a similar experience. But there's also something to be said there for the unbeliever. Well, dear friend, if, if you are here today, what is holding you back from making this appeal yourself? What is holding you back from the mercy of God? Is it that last bit of clothing of Moab? You don't want to let go of it. You're afraid to get rid of that identity that you've created for yourself in the world. Are you afraid that you might be rejected? Do you think that your shame of sin is too much for Christ to overcome? Well, turn with me quickly to the book of John, the gospel of John in the sixth chapter. I want you to read with your own eyes what it says here in John 6 and verse 37. Right here it says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Or even further down in verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Dear friend, if you have not come to Christ... He will not cast you out if you come. There's no anxiety that should hold you back. He has said, surely, verily, verily, truly, truly, he that believes on me has everlasting life. But we turn once again to our passage here. Ruth has now made her appeal to Boaz. It's the middle of the night. He's just been awoken from sleep he's probably still trying to figure out what exactly is going on and instead of giving some halfway coherent response Boaz responds in blessing he says blessed be thou of the Lord for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning and as much as thou followest not young men whether poor or rich this word here kindness that's our other key Hebrew word so you've already seen Ruth appeal to Boaz as the Goel, the Redeemer. And now Boaz, the, the Redeemer, is acknowledging Ruth's kindness, her hesed, her loving kindness, her covenant faithfulness. Children, you might think of this. We, I know that uh, some of you know that song, The Fruits of the Spirit. The Fruits of the Spirit, they're not a banana, they're not a grape, they're, the, they're not a watermelon. Their love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you read through the Bible or as you hear the Bible read, young children, keep in mind these fruits of the Spirit. See how people have these in their life. And dear Christian, we should think of these fruits of the Spirit as well. Do we see these fruits of the Spirit in our own lives? Do we see them in the lives of others? Are we doing things to encourage that fruit to develop into maturity? Are we praying that God would use his Holy Spirit and enlarge those fruits in our own lives? And so even this is a challenge to us. But Ruth has shown herself to be faithful. She has these fruits. But Boaz continues. And he says, Now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest for... 
All the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Boaz acknowledges Ruth's virtue. He's seen it himself and how she has labored diligently for Naomi to provide for her, how she has come from Moab and put aside all the things of Moab, how she has put on all the customs of Israel. And he says that all of Bethlehem knows as well that Ruth is a virtuous woman. In the Hebrew arrangement of the Bible of the Old Testament, this book of Ruth immediately follows after Proverbs 31. If you happen to know, Proverbs 31 describes a virtuous woman. It's, a, it's an idealistic presentation of the virtuous woman. And so that's a paratextual thing, but as you would read through the Bible like that, you'd be confronted of this is what an ideal woman looks like. And then you turn immediately over and you see the book of Ruth and you hear about this woman, Ruth, and you see in real time this depiction of a virtuous woman played out. That's certainly not by accident. And while we might lose something from the arrangement of our, our Christian scriptures here, we also gain further insight as we'll see as we continue to work through this book that it's pointing to something greater than just a virtuous woman. But we should also see in, in, this, in the book of Ruth, in the life of Ruth, and considering that relationship to Proverbs 31, that this is an ideal pattern, not just for women, but for Christians to live diligently and faithfully as we go through this life. So Boaz recognizes that not just he himself has seen the virtue of Ruth, but also that all of Bethlehem has seen it as well. But there's a problem. Boaz says, it is true that I am thy near kinsman. I am thy Goel. I am, I am near to you. I can redeem you. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. There is another one who could stand in the place of redemption and, and fulfill this for you. Perhaps Naomi didn't know this. Ruth certainly didn't expect this. And so, Ruth was sitting there anxiously. She just laid her heart bare and making this appeal to him and saying, Please, Boaz, take me under the wings of your care. Be my kinsman redeemer. And she had that moment of elation as he blesses her and acknowledges her as a virtuous woman, as someone that any Israelite man would be uh, greatly blessed to have married. And now pops that bubble and says, but there's someone else in line. There's someone else that we have to appeal to first. We think of the book of Ruth as a love story, and that's right. But it's not the love story that you think. It's not this emotional love between Ruth and Boaz, although we assume that's part of an element of it, but it's more of an outward-looking, selfless love. We see that in Ruth's love of Naomi. She's willing to leave behind Moab. She's willing to come into Israel, a childless widow. She's willing even to go through and appeal to this right of leveret marriage that is due to the family of Elimelech. She ignores her own desires, potentially. She ignores uh, possible younger suitors that might be better for her than this godly man Boaz. But instead, because of her love for Naomi, she continues and she does as Naomi asks 
We see Naomi's love of Ruth. As we looked at last time, her objective was to secure Ruth in marriage, to have a place of rest for her. And so she sends Ruth out to the threshing floor of Boaz, knowing he is a virtuous man, knowing that he will do all that he says, knowing that he indeed was a near kinsman and could fulfill this obligation of the kinsman redeemer. But we even see Boaz's love. We see Boaz's love of his workers and his generous provision of them. Keep in mind, this is still after a famine. The economy hasn't probably bounced back yet. And so even in his generosity, he's not willing to forsake, uh, forsake his workers for his own gains, but he generously provides for them. And not only that, he generously provides for Ruth. He feeds her on that first day that she's out laboring in the fields, gleaning. He blesses her with provision that day to take home to Naomi. He instructs his workers to watch over her and protect her in the fields. He instructs them to leave behind dropping. So as they go, as she goes gleaning behind these workers, she has an abundance that she can pick up and take home. It's outward-looking, self-sacrificing love. And that is the love story that we find here in the book of Ruth. But despite that, or perhaps rather in light of that outward-looking love, Boaz is not going to go outside of the law to fulfill his desires. By his reaction to Ruth's proposal and this blessing that he places upon her, we can imply that he has a desire to fulfill this obligation, the kinsman redeemer. But he says, tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Boaz vows, according to the law, that he will see he will be an advocate for Ruth and for Naomi and for the family of Elimelech, that they would not die out. He advocates for Ruth and he says, I'll go even this morning and see that this is done. Boaz is not willing to go outside of the law, outside of the customs to fulfill this obligation, but rather he works through the law to make sure that it's done. Boaz is a, a mighty man of valor, as we have said over and over again. We also see here that Boaz is a law keeper. What an encouragement of godly character. But what's more, Boaz indeed points us to the Lord Jesus, the ultimate law keeper. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to keep it, to keep it intact. Any variation, any deviation from the law would have disqualified him from being our righteous redeemer. And so Boaz, through the keeping of the law, is doing the same thing. In keeping the law, he will indeed see that Ruth is redeemed. And so Boaz says to her, lie down until the morning. There's no fear of scandal here on the part of Boaz. He is a, a virtuous man. Ruth is a virtuous woman. There's no harm in having her stay the night there. And this is also Boaz looking out for her. He's seeking her protection and not sending her back into the city by, by herself in the middle of the night where she could be harmed on the way, but instead is able to watch over her there at the threshing floor. 
And so Ruth has an assurance in this promise of Boaz. Boaz has said, I will go and do this thing this morning. Wait here. And so Ruth settles back in for some sleep until the sun rises. And that is the end of this proposal made in darkness. Ruth has the assurance of Boaz that he will be an advocate for her and Naomi and the family of Elimelech. She has the watch care of Boaz over her that he's not going to let her go away in the darkness, but rather will watch over her as she sleeps and then make sure that this thing is indeed done that very morning. And so some time passes and we move to the second part of our passage today where we see a glimmer of hope in that first light of morning. Scripture reads, And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. So Ruth has in mind to get up and go before anyone can see her. She's still keeping in mind those words of Naomi that, that she not be found out that she's there. Boaz indeed reminds her not to be seen as she travels back in. And so there's that suspense that we've already mentioned. There's that potential harm of, of a scandal that, that could break out if somebody should see Ruth. Boaz seems to have in mind the words of Paul well before he even spoke them to the Thessalonians, saying, abstain from all appearance of evil. He's watching out for, for Ruth. This is still his providential care and sending her away in these wee hours of the morning, that very first glimpse of light. But then again, that's also a challenge to us. Are we maintaining a level of blamelessness? Do we think about the actions that we go through in life and how they might reflect on not only our character, but on Christ? Perhaps maybe you've heard some gossip. Some people are talking. Oh, did you see so-and-so doing such-and-such? And they call themselves a Christian. Think about that. They could be talking about you. They could be talking about something that otherwise is perfectly lawful for you to do, but in their eyes, it's sinful. Maybe it's the people you're with. Maybe it's the situation and circumstances that surround it. It may not necessarily be the thing. But this is where we need to use wisdom and discernment and think about the things that we do in life and how they reflect not only on us, on the church, but on Christ, the name of Christ himself. We should be mindful of what we do in life. There's going to be times, dear Christian, that you will have to abstain and sacrifice from things for the sake of Christ. And while it may be disheartening to pass on that momentary pleasure, if that's challenging to you, look to the weight of glory. Even as we saw this morning, think of, thought of this morning as we read through scripture, to think of that eternal weight of glory. What momentary pleasure could equal that? All pales in comparison. Keep before you that thought of glory. But we, we're moving away from our passage. Let's turn once again and consider Boaz's gift here. So Boaz doesn't just send her away in the middle of the night. He says, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And he measured out six measures of barley and laid it on her and she went into the city. So Boaz provides some more barley. He's given and given and given to Ruth and provided for Ruth. 
It's not insignificant here that this is six measures. If you want to know the technical background here, the, that measure was probably a sail, which is somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 15 pounds. And so this is a considerable contribution that, that Boaz is giving to Ruth and finished barley. And so he packs it up into a makeshift backpack for her and places it on her back and sends her away. But this is a sign of Boaz to Ruth of his intentions. It confirms not only did he promise this, but he will indeed do this. He, Ruth has this thing to show for Boaz's promise. It's a tangible sign of his intention to provide. I've considered going back and forth about whether to comment on this, but even we have something like that as we gather for the church. These ordinary means of grace that Christ has left us with until he returns. First of all, every Christian has the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Think about that. That's God's gift to you, a sign of his provision. But not only that, we have these means of grace. We have public prayer. We have the ministry of the word. We have the sacraments. We have baptism. And as we'll even partake of today, the Lord's Supper, these visible, visible, tangible signs that we partake of that remind us of the Lord, of what he's done, of his provision for us, of his care over us. It's a wonderful thing to have those. It's a wonderful thing that Ruth had this tangible sign that she could go back into the city with. And even this, again, it helps to maintain her integrity. If somebody saw Ruth leaving with this backpack full of barley, they would probably not think anything of it. Ruth is a hardworking woman, as they have seen, and she's been out and she's been working hard to provide for Naomi. And so it's just Ruth doing overtime, caring for that dear mother-in-law of hers. And so the city would maintain this idea of Ruth as the virtuous woman. Ruth herself, she goes from a place of fear and uncertainty, not knowing how Boaz would respond to this appeal and leaving with this sign of his intention to provide, this sign of a coming rest for her. Well, that is that first glimmer of hope. Ruth departs with this backpack of barley, going back into the city, going with the promise of Boaz that the thing will be done, going with this gift of barley to show her mother-in-law. And so that's where we move into our third section this afternoon, where we see Ruth and Naomi waiting with words of assurance. She comes to the dwelling that she and Naomi share, bearing this hefty gift, coming through the door. And you can almost imagine the scene here as Ruth enters in. Naomi has probably been up all night waiting for her dear daughter-in-law to come back. And so there's this anxious anticipation. She's frenzied and exasperated as she waits and questions Ruth. As she comes in the door, Naomi says, Sorry, I've lost my place here. <laughs> who art thou, my daughter? Naomi clearly isn't asking who Ruth is, but rather, what has happened? Ruth, tell me everything. Give me all the details. And so you can imagine these, these two ladies sitting there with this excitement as they recount the, uh, the events of the night. Naomi is almost demanding the details. 
sitting there waiting. And so we see this pace of the story continue, this, this wonderful, suspenseful moment as we're reaching this climax in this drama of redemption. And so Ruth tells all. She told her all that the man had done to her. Now, that might seem anticlimactic to say, oh, yeah, Ruth just said everything that happened. But again, that's keeping with the pace of the story. It's the suspense. Think about it. If you've been engaged or witnessed an engagement, chances are that that couple that's been engaged, they have told all. They've given all the details. And though they might have told it a hundred times, it seems just like the first time. And it's just as exciting. And while they might spend an hour or more recounting all the details of that event, it seems as nothing. And so Ruth, in recounting all the details of that midnight proposal that she made to Boaz and his response and his care for her seems as nothing. And so Ruth tells all to Naomi. They're giddy with excitement. I'm sure you can imagine this situation. It's electric. There's an electric excitement there that these women are experiencing. And it's almost as an afterthought that Ruth then pipes in, these six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Once again, we're confronted with these six measures of barley. And it's not a new detail that Ruth makes up or adds to the words of Boaz as she comes to Ruth with, these, with this barley. But rather, it's been concealed. And so we're seeing as the story progresses a shift in the narrative. We've been acutely focused on Ruth and her redemption and a place of rest for her. But now the story broadens back out. And we're seeing that these six measures of barley are signifying something else. Remember the lament of Naomi when she came back into Bethlehem. She said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And Boaz says to Ruth, take these six measures of barley back to your mother-in-law. Go not empty-handed to her. And so this is the first sign of the filling of Naomi. But not only that, we have to consider once again these six measures. It's not the total quantity that matters. It's those six measures that are so vitally important to the story. Once again, I found J.P. Lange's commentary very helpful here, and he points to the fact that there's a tradition of saying that these are uh, equivalent or, or signify years of labor and service in expectation of the year of Jubilee to come. And I, I can't help but to agree with him wholeheartedly here. These times that Ruth has been going out and laboring in the fields are now coming to an end. She's coming into that year of Jubilee that time of rest. But it's also a sign of Naomi that the time is to let her go, to free her from her obligations as a daughter-in-law and set her loose as an obligation to a wife, to a devoted husband. Indeed, it is a shift in a story. And in that, we see also a change in the tone. Once Naomi hears this final detail... She turns and says, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. 
We go from that electric excitement that these women had, giddy with excitement, just you know, j- chattering away, recounting all the details. And this final crucial detail comes in. And Ruth is aware of the significance here. And the tone changes. There's now this calm confidence that, that Naomi puts forth. She says, sit still. Know that this thing will be done this day. All of that excitement is now focused in confidence. While the, un- the only unsettled detail of the matter was who indeed this kinsman would be, Naomi knew that Ruth would be redeemed that very day. That the line of Elimelech would not die out. That that emptiness that she felt when she had returned to Bethlehem was momentary and temporary. And now, indeed, this was only the first of the Lord filling her again. And so she has these words of assurance. Sit still. Until the, until, <clears throat> sit still, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. This is something that even we can have as Christians. A boldness, a confidence, looking to Christ. We know that he has accomplished the work he set out to do. We know just by that sheer fact that his work is finished, that he will indeed do all that he has said. The word constantly points us to the finished work of Christ. Naomi was pointing Ruth to the work of Boaz. And so instead of that, we have an even greater word of assurance to us. The whole of scripture to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, use that. Meditate on it. Devour it. Let it nourish your soul as you let food nourish your body. But in this passage, we also see a need for the Christian community. The community of faith encouraging one another. Admonishing one another. I had such a great time this morning in in hearing the psalms and hymns we sang and were exhorted in scripture to admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Think of a mighty fortress is our God, the assurance that we have there, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And that's just one of many, one of many great hymns and songs and songs that we sing. And what an encouragement it can be to your brother and sister. When we come to worship, don't hold back in singing, but sing out with joy unto the Lord. Admonish one another. Fulfill that obligation to one another in singing those wonderful psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so with this, this last word of Naomi, they wait to see the events of the day, assured indeed that the matter will be done. As we close this curtain on this third act of Ruth, I want to leave you with two overarching points of application. First, Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door of the sheep and the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The true vine. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our confidence in him is not misplaced. It cannot be shaken. He is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. 
Look to Christ, dear friend. Look to Christ, dear Christian. Take hold of him. But our second point is draw close to Jesus with confidence. We're able to do this. With boldness, we can approach the throne of grace. Confidence literally means with faith. With faith, draw close to Jesus. He is meek and lowly, and his burden is light. There is no hint of condemnation of sin left when you come to Christ. He removes it all. There is no shame of sin he cannot overcome. Dear Christian, wait assured that the Lord Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to spend this time in your word. Thank you for this wonderful story of Ruth. This reminder of of all that we are called to be as Christians, but most of all, the kinsman redeemer that we have in Christ. Lord, help us to look to him. Help us to, to have confidence in all that he has promised all that he's accomplished, all that has yet to, to be done. Help us look to eternity, that weight of glory, to not be set aside by the world, but cling fast to the promises that are laid out in your word. Help us to take hold of them, to cherish them, to use them to spur on one another to good works, to a greater love of you, to a growing affection for you. Strengthen us by your word, Lord. Help us to be more Christ-like day by day by it. All these things we ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.